views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Pat. You're listening to the Dr. Pat Show and Transformation Talk Radio. So... Every time we do a survey, we ask you what you want to have more of. And you've told us, how about these short introductory segments? That is why we created our good news segments. Today, this is what you're going to find in our segment. Ready? Listen. Big city dwellers, young and old, see themselves living in their city at age 80 plus. That means they're not moving. Why is it? What is the impact of that? Well, Mercedes Kerr, Executive Vice President of Business Development, Well Tower Inc., is joining us to give you the skinny on that. Yep, people seem to be gathering in and staying where they live. Then joining us today, a topic that is in the headlines right now, Medicare. Ed Sandrick joining us, Humana Leader of Veterans Initiative, talking about the deadline to select your health care coverage. Thanks to Humana, he's bringing the conversation, talking about what are the differences between Medicare A, B, C, and D. And so stay tuned for that. You're going to get lots of information. This is one of my favorite. Can you believe it? Friendship expert provides tips on why you should pay back your friends and the best way to do it. Melanie Ross Mills is here to head up that conversation and why owing money to your friends puts strain on the relationship. I actually asked Melanie to come back. And then finally, wrapping it up for us is Jean Polozinski, Chief Operating Officer of Museum Institute, talking to us today about what First Amendment issues should we be cutting back our First Amendment rights? Well, a lot to talk about in our good news segment today. Sit back, turn up the volume, and enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Listen, good news. Big city dwellers, young and old, see themselves living uh, in their city at age 80. Yes. What do you think about that? So what does the aging population reveal about your city? Now, for me, I got a couple of cities, so I'm really interested in talking with Mercedes Kerr, Executive Vice President of Welltower, Inc., and leads the company's domestic and international deal origination and relationship management, outpatient medical portfolio management, and asset management. Wow, she's got a super big job right there. But here's (laughs) where where we are. Look it. She understands about health, 
She understands about healthcare, real estate. She understands about current trends. And today's show is to say, whatever you thought about this, rethink it. Mercedes, great to have you here. Thank you for having me. You know, listen, I'm from New York City, and I will tell you a little bit this, and I would like you to comment on what you found. You know, anybody that you know that lives in Manhattan, they don't ever think of moving. They think this is my city. I'm going to be here for a really long time. Yet the perception in time has been now we are city jumpers. True or false? What are the latest trends? What have you found? Well, what I can tell you is that the aging population is in the urban centers is growing by double digits. So people wow. are, in fact, staying in their cities or people are moving into larger cities as they seek out services and amenities yeah. that they think are going to be important one, while they're aging. Uh, I, we can touch a little bit more later about New York City because yep. I have a few more statistics about that and Sweet. what we're trying to do to address, frankly, the need there. Yes. Well, you know, there are some surprising results of this. I mean, clearly there are. There are. We don't really look at people wanting to stay. We have this idea that people are like, ginning around all over the world. And yet that's not really my sense of it now, even living in, in Seattle. So can you tell me a little bit about quality healthcare and the relationship between that and where people want to live? Well, quality healthcare and having access to it actually was the top priority uh, coming out of the survey. It actually ranked even higher than proximity to family, which was a surprising fact for me. But people understand that they want to have that, that access, that they will need it as they're aging. It's one of their very important uh, topics. And uh, we think that cities, by and large, are, have some of that infrastructure in place. Some of it needs to be developed or it needs yeah. to be modernized. That's part of the work that we like to do. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that is, that is a top priority. Yeah, I think what we're learning, too, is how um, uh, plugged in our aging population really is. You know, there is this assumption that aging population don't use smartphones, don't use the Internet. We now know, especially in the broadcast arena, the fastest growing segment of people on weekends are 65 and older on the Internet listening to uh, radio. So we already know that 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 is a myth. But yet people don't really know where to go. Like they don't know, like Mercedes, that they can go and, and look at your survey. Yes, and we're hoping that people will join this conversation. It's such an important discussion. You know, we, we, we have our over 65 population, which you referenced, is increasing. Uh, it, it will be, uh, it'll increase by nearly 50% in the next uh, 25 years. And so we know that the complexion of society is going to change somewhat from what we are used to having seen. We also think that this is going to be a much more actively engaged senior population. So people on this survey were talking to us about wanting to make friends after they turn 80. Uh, eight out of 10 people labeled that as a very important priority. So they're looking to enter into a new phase of their lives and be very actively involved. You know, um, this is really, for the most part, when I think about this, I think about everything I don't know about this topic. And, you know, then again, I'm very grateful that what you're doing is really shining a light on it. 
And so um, when we look at decisions, and this is really about decision making, it's of course, the aging population that makes it, but it's also the children of the aging population. I mean, they are sometimes involved in this or or people that are close to them. And so I want to ask you this, this question. When we look at some of the results about this, were you shocked? Was there anything that you said, really? Or was it like everything? <laughs> Well, a lot of information, hopefully, uh, this is uh, says something good about us, really corroborated some of our strategies. We had been observing some of these trends, and some of this corroborated our strategies. But there were there was new information, at least in the focus that the seniors are giving to uh, how they want to live and why they want to live in different locations. I think it really is a conversation starter for us with other providers and partners that we uh, collaborate with as we're trying to build this infrastructure that is going to be necessary for our aging uh, uh, population. So we we are very, um, we're convinced that the delivery of healthcare is going to change and transform over time. We think that we need solutions. We're living longer and we need to live well. And how do we really increase our quality of life? And how do we take uh, take it upon ourselves to really improve our quality of life? And, and some of it is in the solutions that we can help to promote, uh, you know, with senior living communities. We talked earlier about New York. People want to stay, for example, in Manhattan. They would love to age in Manhattan, and maybe many people do, but I will tell you that there are very, very uh, few licensed um, uh, units of memory care in Manhattan proper right. at this time. And right. it's something that we're trying to address. How can we give people that option to live if they have do suffer from dementia or Alzheimer's disease? How can they live with high quality of life in a city center? Yeah. And, you know, it's very interesting you're mentioning that. I think I'm also seeing that, you know, in parts of the country, and I'll just use one in particular, you know, uh, in, in Seattle, for example, you know, we have communities that are north of Seattle, let's say, and they're beautiful uh, cities on the peninsula, Squim and Port Townsend and Port Angeles. And people really love to look, go there. They want to live there. And then and they look and they say exactly what you just said. But what happens if this happens? Where do I get care? And how is that going to be addressed? What do you see for the cities that are addressing it? What do you see the trends in that arena? So I can tell you first that you are absolutely right. So the people whom we surveyed in Seattle said that they love the cultural activities, that they really see um, an opportunity to to live there in community with others and spending time with uh, friends and loved ones. But they did call for more, for example, mental health care providers mm -hmm. and seniors housing communities. So they they uh, they do uh, think that there is a gap. Those are the kinds of things where we can really take valuable. Uh, uh, information and then take steps toward addressing those needs. I mean, providing this kind of infrastructure, uh, frankly, in partnership with best-in-class seniors housing operators is at the heart of what we do. So we are trying to address those needs and trying to make sure that we create those healthy living environments that are going to increase quality of life. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is one of the, um, you know, for me, this is one of the most important conversations. And Mercedes, I think we're seeing worldwide, you know, what's happening abroad. You know, I think I, I'm trying to think if it's in the Netherlands or, or Austria or somewhere over there where they're creating entire cities that are literally cities for an aging population that has everything within the city. So it's like, let's just call it, it's like a community that's being built that has everything they need, so to speak. Um, Are we fully aware in your opinion of what the real issues are with this? Um, You know, first of all, you know, your survey uh, is, is, Absolutely off the charts. Great. Before you answer that, please tell us how people can download this because folks can download this survey like now. Thank you. They can, and we welcome them to join this conversation. It's agingincities.com. If you go to agingincities.com, you can find the full survey there. And and there are many takeaways that people can participate in this demographic trend in a lot of different ways. So we're, we're hoping people will be inspired to join us in this conversation. But to the question you were asking, there are a lot of very progressive um, thinkers in trying to address how uh, you know, we can age better, how we live well. Uh, and by the way, some of those are here in the United States. And I'm proud to say that uh, yeah. we collaborate very closely with a company, for example, called Silverado Senior Living. Mm. All they do is specialize in memory care. Memory, uh, so people who suffer from dementia, Alzheimer's disease, the like. And they have created very successful environments where people are, uh, you know, as engaged as you might hope, uh, where people, frankly, for example, might be able to reduce the medications that they were taking by half once they move in. Where they uh, So there are a lot of very hopeful, very uh, important things that are happening already that Well Tower is very proud to be a participant in. I was looking at the chart you all created. I actually created a chart similar to this in my dissertation, so I was drawn right to it, where you know we're looking at uh, important when aging and high importance. And at the top of the list, clearly at the top, almost almost exactly one of the highest ratings is high quality health care. Um, and I know this is a bigger conversation, but what you've been able to do is to say these are the things that are super important to people. These are really important to people, and we should be looking at what's important to people. Mercedes, thank you for today. One last question. What's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today? I would like to encourage everybody to think about, we're going to live longer. How can you live better? How can you live well? So whether it's exercise, diet, uh, financial planning, just thinking about your future, just uh, my hope for everybody is that we are living longer and that we will be able to live better. Awesome. Thank you very, very much for today. Again, give out the website. It is agingincities.com. Thank you so much. You bet. We're going to take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's so great to have you here. And welcome to our good news segment. You know, we really have loved bringing you information 
education, things that will give you some insight into some of the decisions you're making, some of the options you have. And what I like to talk about is the world of possibilities. Ed Sandrick is joining me here today uh, as the director of the Veteran Channel Humana Strategic Alliances and has been with Humana for 17 years. Now, why is that important? Because if you're like me, you are trying to make sense of this time of year. What does it mean to really look at Medicare? What does it mean to really look for other options? But more importantly, if you are a veteran, if you're somebody that is thinking, oh my gosh, I mean, do I have choices? What are there? How do I go through the maze of all of this? Ed is who you want to know about. He's the one you want to hear from today. Today, we're going to talk about, yep, it's time to evaluate your healthcare options. I can't say that any more strongly. It really is. It's great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dr. Pacelli. I appreciate it. You know, listen, this is a maze. What, what, what we go through, first of all, this time of year, and trying to figure out what is available for the general population. But, you know, Humana's role, you know, leader of Veterans Initiative also has come out in the forefront to help folks understand to start the journey with better and great healthcare options. And I think in the world we live in today, people just don't know what that even means. And I'm hoping today you're going to shed some light on this, right? Well, I'll, I'll try to help at least uh, uh, talk <laughs> about way, ways and where people can go to okay. get good help. Mm-hmm. Right, well, so let's start with okay. the deadline. Uh, folks may not even know, like, why are they talking about this now? Yeah, exactly. Um, the, op- the, annu- the open en- enrollment period for um, Medicare began Sunday, the 15th of October, and closes Thursday, December 7th. So there is still plenty of time, even, even though there's a lot of information out there and a lot of things to consider. Uh, those of us who are over 65 who have some time to do some mm-hmm. studying, uh, do some research, and talk to some people who can really help and make decisions. The plans go into effect uh, January 1st, 2018. Well, and I have- has been working with, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I, I just want to say- I, I This is on the minds of a lot of people. I mean, you know, I think for the first time, at least in the history that I recall here recently, there is a lot of conversation about Medicare. And I'm hoping today you're going to shed some light on where people can go, what question to ask, and how to get great health care. I I hope so, too. And I I certainly will do that. And I, I guess the first thing I would say is, that Humana has, uh, where the veterans are concerned, Humana has been working with the uh, military and veteran community since 1996. So we've got a long history of of working with the with the military. Uh, we've been a Tricare provider for uh, uh, the uh, military through the Department of Defense since 1996. Uh, we've also uh, set a uh, a goal of hiring veterans or veteran spouses. And to date, we've, we've hired over 3,400 veterans or, uh, or their spouses. Uh, so there's a, there's a deep history, a long history, and a deep commitment to the, to the veteran community. Um, what's, what's interesting about the veteran community where Medicare is concerned is that there's over 9 million veterans who are over the age of 65. 
Wow. So it's a significant part. Yeah, it's a significant part of the Medicare eligible population. And what we've done at Humana is we've worked with our sales agents. Uh, we employ about uh, 2,500, 3,000 sales agents across the country. And we, we've worked with them over the last four or five years to help them be uh, more informed, uh, more uh, confident in talking with, with veterans, particularly veterans who have uh, who may have access to the VA health care. Mm-hmm. Of that 9 million or 9.5 million people who are veterans, uh, a smaller percentage than people would think go to the VA for health care. Those that do go to the VA for healthcare need to understand that um, the VA and and Medicare or Medicare Advantage don't uh, compete with one another, if you will. They don't mm-hmm. interact with one another. Don't inter- there's no interference there. So, uh, an individual going to the VA, getting their healthcare there, can also, uh, when they turn 65. Uh, have access to Medicare or Medicare Advantage and yeah. use the two respective systems, the VA system and the uh, Medicare systems, whether it's Medicare itself or, or Medicare Advantage, to their individual advantage rather mm-hmm. relative to access to the right providers and the right services. Well, what I really like about this is that um, for people listening, many folks don't know that they have these combined options, which pretty much are going to cover uh, most of the expenses that they would incur. And they don't know how how the system of combined coverage works, of Medicare Advantage works. And I think this is really an important part. And I love that what you're talking about, too, is the education of the people on your team to really be able to answer questions uh, uh, that maybe don't come up in every uh, every day and don't assume that folks know what they're talking about. So there's Medicare A, there's B, there's C, and there's D. And most people don't even know what that is, let alone, wait a minute, and do I need to look at prescriptions? So maybe you can give us a little insight. Sure. Uh, so uh, Medicare, uh, original Medicare is... Part A and Part B. So Parts A and Parts B that people hear about mm-hmm. c- constitute uh, original Medicare. Part A covers services and, uh, and supplies that are considered necessary to treat a disease or a condition, including hospital care, nursing home care, um, home health services, and hospice. Part B uh, covers the medically necessary treatments not covered under Part A, uh, durable medical equipment, and preventive services. Part C is Medicare Advantage. And that's where uh, an individual would partner with a private insurer like Humana, um, whose resources are there to, to help the individual. Uh, Medicare Advantage plans include uh, all of the benefits covered, or covered under Part A and B, but often include additional benefits. For example, the Humana Medicare Advantage plans offer uh, predictable co-payments and lower or no plan deductibles, um, maximum out-of-pocket protection, uh, and programs designed to improve health. Uh, Humana is very, very focused on moving uh, its members to a more healthier status and programs that help manage chronic conditions. Uh, there would be dental, vision, and uh, hearing coverage and fitness center memberships. And finally, one that's near and dear to my heart is the nurse uh, 
advice line 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because particularly for those of us who are over 65 and, mm-hmm. and particularly those of us who may be living alone, uh, having that uh, that nurse hotline or nurse advice line available can be very, very important. Very important. And, last, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that, yeah, I'm just going to say, pardon me, the, the last uh, part of Medicare is Part D, which is prescription drug coverage. And we have to understand them all because, we, you know, what we're talking about is helping people make an informed and educated decision. That's really what we're talking about, aren't we? Uh, because, you know, it's, yeah, it's very easy to really look at all of this and get completely overwhelmed. I mean, I know that most of us have, and I had to seek out help to be able to say, wait a minute, where do I even begin and get some guidance as to how things work together to make sure that the fear around this is addressed because people do get afraid. Mm-hmm. And in the first place, I mean, when someone is turning 65, they're going to get a, a, a lot of information from Medicare. Uh, CMS has been centers for Medicaid and Medicare and Medicaid services has done a great job of communicating to to the senior population in particular. And we can go to www.medicare.gov. I think this is uh, probably the place for everybody to start. So mm-hmm. www.medicare.gov or call 1-800-MEDICARE or Humana. Uh, uh, somebody could go, you can go to humanamedicare.gov.com, pardon me. Or call our our toll free line at eight 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 four two zero four four zero six two, where you'll be able to talk with somebody uh, on the phone, uh, ask the questions that you may have, and be directed to to talk with a licensed agent on the phone, or perhaps uh, even have a, a conversation arranged uh, to talk with somebody in the home. And I don't think there's anything that can be a substitute for a face to face conversation where somebody can really get into all of the needs, particularly the the financial and the health needs. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you completely because, you know, in the end, you know, what we're really looking to do is help people make informed decisions that could literally save their lives. And I think that, you know, with the conversation that you're having and providing the information, you're enabling people to become empowered about their lives and become empowered about, you know, the way that they can feel secure in the decisions they make. Um, is there a, a conversation about saving money? Because we all look at these, we all look at cost. Cost is on the minds of a lot of people. You know, what is the best way for people to learn how to save money when choosing? Yeah, there, there's, I wish there was one answer for that. <laughs> um, but but given that, you know, we all have our own uh, health conditions, health status, and certainly our own financial situation, um, where where health care is concerned, I think we all know it's it can be an expensive place to be for people. Um, so whether they're a veteran or not, we we our agents would would ask people to consider the costs associated with the various plans that they they might want to look at, you know, including the premiums, uh, the deductibles, payments, and maximum out-of-pocket costs. Do the do the plans that they're looking at have a network that includes preferred preferred doctors and hospitals? Mm-hmm. And um, and I think. Um, 
particularly for seniors, uh, for, mm-hmm. for people that are 65 or over on a, on a, many of them on a fixed income, retirement mm-hmm. on fixed income, uh, we need to consider what we spent last year or what we're spending as of this date this year, what our productive uh, spending for the year is going to be on health care mm-hmm. and what can we afford and what do we need in 2018. So it's such an individual thing. Uh, the good news is that there are a lot of plans out there that could fit many of the individual needs that are that are there. It's just important to understand where I am health status-wide, understand where I am financial, uh, where my finances are concerned, and mm-hmm. where do I want to be, and what choices do I want to have, what freedom do I want to have going forward, that sort of thing. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ed, so much for today. Uh, one last question, personal message. What do you want to leave us with today? I, I, again, I think it's important, particularly for those veterans, to understand those who go to the VA that uh, they may they may have other options to use, including the VA. So it's important mm-hmm. for them to to understand that, and for veterans in general. Um, I guess I, I would say dial. 1-800-MEDICARE, it's it's, it's an important step to take. Uh, Go to medicare.gov or go to humanamedicare.com. There's a plethora of information out there and study it and then take advantage of of calling 1-888-2044062 and talk to a licensed agent because I think it can really help uh, to sit and talk over the phone or ideally sit and talk with somebody in person about what it is that you need. I love it. Thank you, thank you, thank finally, you. And I guess we want to thank all sure. veterans for their service. Oh, my gosh. Do we ever want to do that? Uh, thank you, Ed. Thank you so much. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. I have to tell you, I've been so looking forward to this conversation. Dr. Melanie Rose Mills joining me here today, friendship and relationship expert and licensed temperament therapist. I could have used her help a bunch of years ago, boy. (laughs) And actually, I still can't. The only problem is I don't have anybody to practice on. Uh, Dr. Mills, thank you for joining us here today. Would you like me to refer to you as Dr. Mel or Dr. Mills? Whichever you prefer. I I answer to either one. Awesome. Well, listen, this is, and the body of work that you've done, I'm so excited about it because you've done this body of work and I've been waiting for somebody to come along that's really addressing some of the issues about relationships with nobody is talking about. And that is this idea of exchange. And so off Mm -hmm. you go And you're tackling one of the most difficult, I think, issues in conversation between friends. The money. The money. Why don't we talk about this? What is going on? Well, it it can be awkward and stressful, especially because we all have our own relationship with money. Yeah. And so it can be be awkward. And so what we're finding with this report is that over 50% of people have witnessed or experienced in friendship division because of money that is owed. So it is a very prevalent situation amongst friends, but we're not addressing it, as you had mentioned, apparently, when we look at the statistics. Okay, so 
What is it about this that has gotten you so interested in it? Is it partially because, you know, people that you've looked at, surveyed, work with, you know, have this floating to the top of just about every list? Or is it the fact that we're clueless on even where to even begin with this or both? I think the answer is both because okay. I don't think many of us, not all, are given the tools yeah. with um, addressing this issue of finances. I also, this is the first study that's been done in such depth that's revealing such high percentages of avoidance and ignoring and division amongst friends and relationships. So I am drawn to this because my, I believe life is about relationships. And this is one area we can address easily. For me, I use the Bank of America app. I can go in and I can send money if I owe money. I can ask to receive money if someone owes me money. I can split a bill easily at lunch. Yeah. It eliminates this awkwardness instantly. Yeah. And, you know, this mm -hmm. is like we have this idea and maybe you could talk about this. I love that we have an app for this because I, too, use, I too mm -hmm. use the Bank of America app. But there's there's one thing that I think we we kind of miss. We don't believe that if I owe you, Dr. Mel, if I owe you money, we don't believe that if I make a partial payment, even if it's a teeny weeny amount, a partial payment, that it's good enough. How do you help people yes. work through the fact, wait a minute, partial is better than not? Yes, and I love that you're addressing this because that's a lie, right, that we're believing. <laughs> because the truth is, any effort matters. And we, I even use gift as an example. We think the gift needs to be fabulous. But really, it is the thought that counts. We just want to know someone went to the effort to show us that they cared. So the $5 says, I care about our friendship. You matter to me. I want to make amends. I want to reconcile. Even if it's been 10 years and I have been avoiding you as the 56% in this report showing us or ignoring your text or your phone calls, I miss you. I care about you. I love yeah. you. Here's my $5. And that's the truth, in my opinion. Yeah. And I love this. And, you know, this is let's just talk about this for a minute. It's a little, a little sidebar, but it does matter. It, when we look mm -hmm. at navigating through financial situations with friends, um, at some point we have to demonstrate an effort. And what we do is we leave the relationship. We leave. Um, what is technology helping us with so we don't have to walk away from years of friendship or relationship and can take that good faith effort? Yes. And so we sometimes naturally just want to avoid because we don't know how to handle conflict or address this elephant in the room. So technology is making it so easy for us. It's, uh, if you look at where the world, I mean, it's amazing to me we have it so easy, where we literally, as we talked about, press send and put a note in there and say, I'm sorry, I, will you please forgive me for avoiding you? I mean, it, it, if you don't want to even do face-to-face, -face, you can use the app. Technology is affording us a tool that makes it easy for us to settle up with friends instantly, within minutes. And the strain's gone. How crazy is that? 
So we're well, given the power to restore a relationship instantly. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I love this because your work and what you do with folks is related to my body of research. I mean, I studied the consequences of broken promises for eight years. Oh, wow. I, I know yeah. it's, it's it, honestly, it was oh. so sad. I studied it eight years. My research won awards mm. and I had to walk away from it because you and I know that making these promises, paying this debt is healing mm-hmm. for both parties. Yes. There's so many layers to it. And life really, which I'm assuming you agree with me, is about relationships. Yes. Yeah. And so this is addressing such a relevant topic for most people that we haven't even studied yet until this report came out. I know. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to it's me, really. Fascinating. Well, it, it, now we're getting information, and thank you for technology, correct? Now we're getting information yes. where someone like you with your skills, your area of expertise, can talk to people as people and not as a debt collector. Mm-hmm. See, there's like a difference, right? There's, oh, oh yes. I, I said that, but I have a friend who's a, a collector and she she handles things, you know, people <laughs> with respect. So, oh my gosh, I hope she's not listening. Yes. But you get my point. It's not about when are you going right. to pay me, when are you going to pay me? It's like, hey, how are you? Are you okay, right? Right, well, that's what I love. That's why this is perfectly in my wheelhouse because it is encouraging restoration, reconciliation, making amends. It encourages us to assume responsibility where we need to, whether it is getting someone to pay us back or paying someone back. And it's empowering us really to connect. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I Mm -hmm. want to talk on something you just said. I want to talk about making amends. I have to tell you that I am very familiar with the concept of making amends. I learned it many, many years Mm -hmm. ago, and I learned the power of it. I also learned that making amends is not having to say you're sorry. It is not that. It is demonstrating good faith behavior along with saying some words that explain why you acted like a crazy, right? Um, Right. How important is that process rather than just, okay, all of a sudden I got something coming in my bank account for (laughs) $6.72? Right, right. Well, and it's looking at the person as a person. So it really is, it's making the effort that I value you as a human. Yeah. And I value myself as a human. Yeah. And so how can we walk together? It doesn't mean we have to be best friends again. But how can we live copacetically in a way that eliminates really unforgiveness and the bitterness and resentment physically causes us to get sick sometimes. So it's really just living healthy in a way that we can live at peace with one another. Yeah, you and I agree on a lot of things. I know one of the things my listeners have heard me say is if we were not meant to be human to human, Dr. Mel, you would have gotten your own planet and I would have gotten my own planet and we probably never would have crossed paths. But that's not the world we live in. Thank you for today. One last question. How can we find out more? And I would love to know what your personal message is. What can we do to help people move this energy along? Right. Well, we can go for starters to learn more about this report to bankofamerica.com slash friends again. 
And I think reaching out and making an effort is where we begin to connect, which is also why I love this. Because it's letting someone know that you care. That's really all people want is to know that we care and that they are worth something to us. And this gives us a way to do that in this area. Well, I got to tell you, I know this is a short interview, but I hope that you will keep us in mind. I would love to have you on my show for a more in-depth conversation because I'll tell you, we are dividing ourselves. We're letting relationships and the pain of that end over Mm -hmm. so many things that you are the expert and can help our listeners mend. Thank you for all you do. Well, I'd be honored. Thank you. We need each other. We need each other. And by the way, the cha-ching and the bling, it's only worth it if you're all in with the goodness and the good faith of relationships. Thank you, Dr. Mel. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. Dr. Melanie Ross rocks. Dr. Melanie Ross Mills, everybody, you're going to hear more from her. We'll see you in a few minutes. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What a fascinating topic for our good news segment uh, this week on the Dr. Patro and Transformation Talk Radio. Here's the question, everybody. Should there be limits on the First Amendment? Should there be limits on the First Amendment? Uh, Newseum Institute releases 2017 State of the First Amendment Survey. Joining me here today is Mr. Gene Polozinski, COO of the Newseum Institute. Uh, And beyond that, Uh, What Gene is bringing us to the table with, he's a veteran of multimedia journalism. He writes lectures. He's interviewed regularly on First Amendment issues. This is something that all of us are eager to hear more about. I mean, by the way, who knew? A survey. Gene, it's great to have you on the show. (laughs) Thank you, Pat. Yeah, I, I know we're one in a long parade of surveys, but we've been doing this now for 21 years, and so we've got some history behind it. And and uh, I should say the Museum Institute's apolitical, so we don't lobby, we don't litigate, um, so that we really just want to know what Americans think about their core freedoms. Well, can I ask you a question before we dig deep into this? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, there are years when you've done the survey and you probably kind of like, oh, okay, interesting. But this year, is there a fundamental difference in the energy around it? One thing that that bears a lot of study, so we're not just going to take this as a as a symbol number and go on. Right. There was a twenty point drop in the number of Americans who think that there's bias in the way the news media operates, and I was frankly very surprised to see that in an era in which the role of media and the charges of fake news is uh, has been so prevalent. But I will tell you, built into the survey as well was a counter because there's also a large number of Americans who only go to get news. Uh, from a source that aligns with their own political view. So I, you know, I have to say, if if I agree totally with what you're saying, Pat, mm-hmm. I don't bias. You're you're right. Well, that's not how the First Amendment's supposed to work. It's the marketplace <laughs> idea. So we're going to watch that. We're actually going to dive back into that number uh, through this year and see what what does that mean. Do Americans really think that the media is doing a better job, or is it just an increasing number of Americans who who only listen to Rachel Maddow or Tucker mm-hmm. Carl and say, well, they're right. And because that's what I believe. And you know, about our, our, our democracy operates. 
Well, Gene, you you just nailed it because here here's really if we step back from let, let's t- take a look for a minute and and d- dig into the survey. Let's take a look at the psychology of media, if there even is such a thing. There is, and so when people are polarized in life. It doesn't have to be about media. It doesn't have to be politics. But if we are polarized about something, then isn't it true we will lean towards that place where we feel, quote, dare I use it, safe? And isn't the First Amendment a safety issue as well? Well, you know, it's safety for the country in the sense that uh, you don't have to set off a bomb in this country to get heard. Because there's no government stopping you from speaking. And that's been a huge strength in our society to to say even the fringe and extreme viewpoint will have a place where they can try to convince people. And frankly, throughout our nation's history, you know, the concept of women having to vote. At one time, I know young people won't know this, but at one time that was considered a fringe and extreme issue, even to the point where women were jailed for saying that they wanted to be independent of of their male uh, uh, husbands or or brothers or, or fathers. Uh, you know, the First Amendment empowered women to say, no, I, we, you know, we have every right to have the vote. So I, I worry a little bit. You talk about polarizing, even on that bias question, 62% of liberals say the media reports the news without bias, 27% of conservatives. Uh, it was interesting that that split wasn't among men and women or even geography. It's no. just on your political viewpoint where you see the media so differently. Well, and let's talk a little bit about this survey, if we could, because um, you're right about things. You know, we are speaking out more. As a matter of fact, this may seem benign, but um, there is outrage, if you can believe it, over the pay grade that uh, that Wonder Woman, the actor uh, Gal Gadot, got. For her role, outrage. So speaking out is something we're learning to do again. I'm a little bit older probably than you. So I come from a generation where if you didn't speak out, nothing got done. But what does this survey now bring to the forefront for us? What should we be most mindful of? I think it's this idea of hearing from people we don't like, uh, if only to be better prepared to argue against them, in my view. Uh, I think it's the idea of uh, permitting... Uh, and getting engaged, uh, permitting people to speak, but getting engaged to talk about it. You know, I, I was bothered by the fact that 74% of the survey respondents said, well, fake news shouldn't be protected by the First Amendment. Well, that raises the question of what's fake news? Who's going to determine that? The last thing we want is a, is a government official, a national nanny, telling us what we should or shouldn't think uh, or read or know. So I, I think... Um, this survey is a call to action to get more involved. You know, at the time when we can get more news from more sources more easily than at other, any other time in humanity, there's a responsibility to get involved and, and make some, you know, I think healthy skeptic kind of skepticism, have healthy skepticism about it, but not just sit there and let somebody pour the news into your brain. Go out there and spend a little time trying to verify it or see yeah. what multiple points of view there are. Uh, yeah. Get off the sofa. Uh, Captain Carroll used to um, as the Associated Press had a great line, give a damn. Yeah, uh, I think we need to give a damn a bit more about truth. 
You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I've done two posts um, about the Affordable Care Act and about health insurance, and they weren't posts of outrage. What I did is I clicked on, I, I put the link in the social media Facebook page that comes from the statistics just on Medicaid. And I said, we've got to get educated. Please look for your state and read this because isn't that what we're talking about? But let's get back to your point. If we were to take away, let's just play this through, our First Amendment rights, freedom to speak, we know what happens in countries where that happens, right? We know what happens. Oh, yeah. yeah. Why would we even want to do that? Zone. Right. Well, Why I, would you want to do know, that? I think there's, a comfort, there's a comfort zone for some people, mm-hmm. you know, looking to somebody to tell us what to do, then you don't have to think about it. Uh, but of course, the, you forget that if, if you know, you're okay with it at the moment because that person says something you like. What happens when you don't like it? Uh, what happens when your school isn't funded and another school is, and you're not able to speak out about that? And let's put it in very personal terms. You know, when when you find that the streets are being paved in all the neighborhoods except yours, or that you you worry that your child's school lunch is uh, you know contaminated food and nobody's held accountable for that. And we we I think we get so consumed at times over the sort of squishy national debate over political reporting, we forget the tremendous value in knowing uh, from an honest reporting of facts about all those parts of our lives that we depend on others to get information for us, uh, of being able to speak out on issues that count. Frankly, being able to go to the church or the synagogue or the temple uh, of our choice, uh, we forget that because we take it for granted in America. It's like air. Well, we're learning very quickly by both examples, I think the fear in this country and examples, as you point out, worldwide, these things aren't automatic and you have to defend them every day. You know, there's there's a saying here, Gene, that, you know, you don't know what you have till you, till you don't have it anymore. I think there's a like a, a song, maybe a rock song, you know, you don't <laughs> know what you right? You don't know what you have till you yeah, don't have yeah. it. And, right. you know, even as far as, and you know this and I know this, that we have had in other countries, we have had arguments that the Holocaust didn't exist. And the only right. way that that got to be shown as really fake news was people, you, you know, people had to, women had to go to court to defend, wait a minute, it does. See, we're really saying here, this is a country of participation. Isn't that what the First Amendment and this survey is really talking about? You know, that's an outstanding point uh, that, that we are. I love that. We're a nation of participation. You know, and, and I also remind people engagement is not endorsement. You know, if you and I vehemently disagree, if I give you my attention, I go to a place where you're speaking to a group. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean I endorse your viewpoint. Oh, no. Uh, you know, it means that I'm interested in knowing what you have, if only to, to be able to have a rally next week where I say that was totally wrong. So I love that idea that we are a nation of participation. I think that's a great thing that Americans should keep in mind on this uh, July 4th holiday. Um, let me ask you a question. Is there any information about age demographics and, the, and, and how the survey panned out by age? There absolutely is, and you can find that all at museum.org. We, we have a full report up, and you can find things. You know, For example, on the bias question, I was fascinated by the fact that it's the baby boomers who are the most supportive of the press, and then it drops back down. You almost have a similarity between 18 to 29-year-olds and those over 65. 
um, in terms of the group with the least confidence in the press. So it, you know, it's, uh, there's some interesting things, but we break it down by gender, uh, geography, uh, age groups. So uh, you can find that information all at museum.org. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I think that's about? Do you mind me just throwing this at you for you to think no, about? Please. If you look at that middle, I don't know what to call it, middle generation, what did that middle generation experience? 9-11. And what does that mean about 9-11? 9-11, because you know, if you talk to folks that experienced that as teenagers, what they learned was they literally thought 9-11 and the war on Iraq was one thing, only to find out later it was another. And you know, when I talk to people of that generation, they look at me like, you know what, if that was a hoax, I don't know what to believe. And what do you think uh, is the influence of when something mega happens that we then realize is not really true. I think you've put your finger on a very important part, which is the news media, I think self-admitted, failed us there on the so-called weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. Uh, I think 9-11 was a shock to the psyche of the country. Yeah. And there was a real question. Our, our you know, Right now, this year, we found that um, about oh, 23% said that the First Amendment goes too far on the rights it guarantees. Um, eight months after 9-11, that number was almost 50%. So I've been saying for some time now, based on our survey, that the great threat to the First Amendment is often not the debate over media or over petition or whatever. It's fear. Mm-hmm. We might grow so fearful as a country that we surrender our rights. And I'll tell you, the, as you pointed out, not only is it felt most deeply the loss of something you have when you lose it as opposed to never having it, try and get a law to restrict freedoms reversed once it's in place, that's very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to be on guard that this fear, whether it's a war on terror, whether it's this, uh, I think largely empty debate over over media bias, Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at media across the board, uh, we don't let somebody pass legislation, uh, weaken the libel laws, for example, in ways that we're gonna regret down the road and it's gonna be too late to pull it back. Uh, two questions, and I know we're, we're going to be short of time. One, I was really shocked and thrilled where the question was media should be a watchdog of the government. And I looked at the percentage of that and people are saying, yep, that's true. So I don't know that people really believe it's fake news if that large percentage think that that should be the, the watchdog of a government. Well, I, I, right. And I, I take solace in that despite all the you know, hoopla <laughs> over so-called fake news and media bias. You know, two-thirds of us, more than two-thirds of us, still see the media as a watchdog role. Now, again, a little warning flag, a little tremor. That number's down a few percentage points from what it was last year, which was down a few percentage points from the year before. So there's an erosion there, but still very, very strong majority saying we need you to be the media Mm -hmm. to be a watchdog in government. Yeah, with all the publicity about fake news, you would have expected that erosion to be not just an, an erosion. That's almost like losing an entire mountain into the ocean, though, based on the perception. <laughs> yeah, I would have, been, I would have yeah. been so disheartened yeah. that Americans abandoned that idea. You know. uh, last question, the one that I was shocked about. Leakers should be prosecuted. I thought that there would be way more of a, yeah, they should. But in my opinion, it's almost a dead heat. What do you think? Well, that's it. And I think Americans are divided on it. And, you know, and the, the, the positive is these people took an oath to protect those secrets and that they violated that oath and they should be prosecuted. Uh, other people who say, even if they did some harm, 
they did a large, the larger principle was to alert us to the government, for example, surveilling us in ways we didn't know before. And, uh, and our involvement in Iraq or in Iran, uh, our strike yeah. in the Middle East is based on faulty premises. But we're, as a country, we're really taking, a, I think, a, you know, a, a real measure of whether we need to have these people step out, violate their oath, and tell us what we need to know. Uh, and, of course, there's also maybe a little bit of a sophisticated recognition that everybody, including people in the Trump administration, every administration leaks like the sieve. Oh, yeah. Sometimes just to test drive an idea. So yeah. not all the leaks are, are criminal. So, uh, again, I think the American public has a very sophisticated view of, of leaks, and they're giving us that answer back in a, in a very divided way. Well, I know you have to go. Uh, and, uh, boy, there's so many more questions that you and I could get into. Um, but I, we will post the survey and let folks know. La- last thing, how can people find out more and what's your personal message? Well, uh, the personal message is get engaged, give a damn. And you can find out more information at Newseum, N-E-W-S-E-U-M.org, Newseum.org. Yeah. And isn't there a way for people to give you feedback, too, at the site? Yeah, they can uh, certainly they can they can write to me my my name and uh, my email address. It's G Polisinski at museum dot org. Uh, happy to get your messages and and I'll try to respond. Awesome. Thank you, Gene. Thank you for all that you do. We're going to take a short break. Everybody, we'll be right back. 